The Ref Radio Sports Network is powered statewide by the insurance adjusters at Brown O'Haver. Fire, wind, theft, or tornado, we can help. Call 405-735-5510. It's time for The Rush with OU color analyst Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. Got a question or opinion? Hit the guys up at 405-651-3439. Or call the Riverwind Casino call-in line at 405-329-9000. Live from the Buffalo Wild Wings studios, it's The Rush with Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. Environments matter. Guys want to, you know, come and play in a, in a championship type of environment. You know, where it's passion. People are passionate. There's intensity. There's an expectation. There's high standards. Uh, there's support. And you know, this is an opportunity for us to show that you know we've been an uncommon program. We're not like we all play football, uh, but we all ain't the same. This is you know the winningest program in the modern era. This is a program that has set the standard in college football. Uh, for you know, competing and winning, you know, championships. Well, I had intended for the opening uh, sound clip of the show today to be Andre Wolfolk at home against Nebraska in 2000, making the unbelievable catch that we can all still remember. Uh, but we got Brent Venables instead talking about environment, and that somewhat matches up because it is 100 days away until OU football, September 2nd at home against Arkansas State. And, uh, yeah, OU trying to get the best home environments possible, especially uh, when they roll forward in the SEC. 100 days, and we'll be inside Owen Field, the Palace on the Prairie, Oklahoma, uh, Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium, whichever one you call it. And we asked on our uh, Twitter page today, at KREF Sports, and if you didn't interact there, do so on the text line, the, uh, the best game that you've ever seen inside, uh, inside the stadium. And I've got a top three, along with an honorable mention and a should have been. And Parker, before I get to my top three games I've ever seen in Norman, and even my honorable mention, my should have been is Bedlam from last year because OU gets out to that commanding lead in the first half of the game, really like the first quarter of the game, and I thought to myself, okay, this is the night. This is the night where all of the frustrations from the season, you get to just let them all out, and you're about to put up 56 on Oklahoma State. Well, obviously that didn't happen. It was a great environment early on, and even if OU uh, finishes the deal and wins 70 to nothing, I don't know if, the, if that's ever considered a top three environment ever, but um, that felt at least for one quarter that that was going to be a wild environment. And just as the offense shut down, uh, the crowd kind of did uh, after that in the second half, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know if I feel totally qualified to give you my list, Tyler, because you got to keep in mind, as a non-Oki, I didn't attend a football game at Owen Field until 2017, so I have much less breadth of experience to go off. And also, like you think about the last five years of OU football, how many truly memorable games have there been at Owen Field? How many truly memorable games have there been, period? You think about uh, the comeback against Baylor. That was in Waco. Think about the Caleb Williams game. Obviously, that was down to the Cotton Bowl, as was the four-overtime classic in 2020. So, I don't know. Maybe like Iowa State in 2019, Tyler? 
That's yeah. maybe the best game I've seen at Owen Field. I don't know. It's it's still Iowa State, too, you know. And you, you were kind of mad at that time because you had a huge lead at halftime, and you blew it in the second half. So even though the game came down to a two-point conversion and OU ended up winning the game, you still walked out disappointed and mad that it even got to that point. But most people's response is going to be 2000 OU Nebraska. Um, someone just said 2020 OU Nebraska. I'm guessing you mean 2000 OU Nebraska. I'm guessing that's what you mean there, like because OU played Nebraska in 2021, which was a uh, 11 a.m. game. But for me, um, not going to the 2000 OU Nebraska game because I skipped for a stupid fifth and sixth grade basketball game. My top three, uh, Parker, go number one, 2008 Texas Tech. Self-explanatory there. Everyone knows that one. Number two, and a very close number two. Like th- This was almost voted number one by me because you had lost to him for two consecutive years. It was tough to live in the state at that point. Both teams were really good. They had less miles who kept talking trash. That 03 Bedlam game, um, it, it's number two on my list, but in terms of like venom that was in the stadium that day, that was about as much hate as I felt uh, at Owen Field at any other time or any other game I've ever attended. That was an awesome game, and OU dominated. And, and normally when you're blowing out a team, maybe the crowd noise as the game wears on you know, kind of gets less and less. Dude, the, the crowd noise stayed at the level that it was at kickoff all the way through. OU fans wanted blood that day, and they got it against Oklahoma State. I, I seriously almost voted 03 Bedlam number two. And then number three for me, kind of an under-the-radar one, um, 02 Alabama. You got off to a big lead against those guys as well. And then you had to have the shovel pass to Ronaldo Works, a scoop and score by Eric Bassey. Alabama then wasn't Alabama now, but you still know what that program's all about. I got uh, OU against Tech in 08 at 1, Bedlam in 2003 at 2, and then the 02 Bama game at number 3. Like it, love it, hate it. I mean, I like it. Like, it's better than mine, Tyler. I, I, I've been trying to scrounge up a top three in my head for the last four or five minutes, and I, I, I guess I have to start with OU Iowa State in 2019. I really don't know where to go from there. Like, um, How about this? O, and, your, because your, I'm from Nebraska, maybe years, OU Nebraska in 21? Your last five years is not a great list. I feel like the next five years – like, whatever your top three mm. is right now, I'm going to guess that none on your current top three will be there in five years. <laughs> I'm guessing that in five yeah, years it will be thing. all SEC games, at least hopefully. Yeah, it better be. I, I would hope that come time for Oklahoma to jump both feet into the SEC, what you're going to get is climactic, uh, hotly contested, football games every single weekend with a great crowd environment and atmosphere that's the very least that we can hope for with oklahoma making this transition the recruiting doomer says top three in norman i've attended 77 nothing which i still love that you could just say 77 nothing and everyone knows oh yeah yeah, yeah. that was against <laughs> texas a&m number two antonio perkins game against ucla Three Tech game in 08? You've got the Tech game in 08 behind. Look, the Antonio Perkins UCLA game was awesome. Don't get me wrong, but you've got the Tech game in 08 all the way back at number three. Woo, recruiting doomer. That's a little bit of a hot take right there. But uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later. 580, I sure love the reigning game when P. Ryan ran over Kansas. 
Actually, I think he is still running on them. That was the worst. I'll say this. I know this isn't the list. Worst weather game I've ever attended. It is without a doubt, and it's really not even close, that uh, Samaj, the uh, game where Samaj P. Ryan broke the record, 427 yards against Kansas. I haven't been to a ton of bad weather games. That one was by far and away the worst. Um, absolutely terrible. But 100 days away until uh, OU football, and we've got a lot of text here about everyone's favorite. Um, K-Dub in the 918, I've been a lifelong OU fan and season ticket holder for 20 years. I love OU, but they do a horrible job of fan engagement, providing an energizing atmosphere, kicking for chicken, Need I say more? Well, here's the deal, K-Dub and the 918. Oh, my gosh. Just, just like I was hinting with Parker here, um, not only will the games be better, the kickoff times will be better, the atmosphere will be better, you will have a better uh, home environment moving forward in the SEC at OU. I, I am very confident in that. But who who do you think takes the most slander on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line? Is it Porter Moser, is it Todd Bates, or is it kicking for chicken? Um, if you're just judging it from this week, it was Durant, Oklahoma. But if you're just this whole year so far, it's probably the uh, kicking for chicken that's uh, that, that that happens every single home game. I think it is kicking for chicken at this point. That's probably what uh, what gets the most hate on the text line. Unfortunately, um, mo- mostly, and you're looking at the text line like I am. It's a whole lot of 2000 OU Nebraska. It's a whole lot of 2008 Tech. And some uh, random games thrown in there, like Brennan Clay's walk-off Bedlam touchdown, uh, Stephen Parker against TCU in 2015. I know uh, Lane in California mentioned those two. But if I just had to pick the greatest all-time game at Owen Field, 1985 OU Nebraska was awesome, but come on. The relevance of the 2000 OU Nebraska game, it was the best game. It is, to me, the best game ever at OU for a home game. And it's going to be really tough to top that at any point, even with the SEC move uh, approaching. Really? Yeah. Even with the SEC yeah. move approach, like you don't think? Hmm. What if? What? Okay. What if? I'm trying to think. Who would be if there's a team in the SEC that Oklahoma fans would just feel very vindicated if they went and beat? Would it be Georgia? Would it be Florida? I don't think it's Alabama because OU, well, I guess they didn't win the most recent game between those two teams, but they won the game that everybody remembers between those two teams this century. I feel like Georgia, given the backdrop of the 2017 Rose, like let's just, okay, let's say for the sake of the argument, let's say Georgia, whether or not they win the national game, let's say fresh off at the very least two consecutive titles, let's say they come to Norman, in 2024, OU's first year in the SEC, and Oklahoma beats them in Norman. You don't think that's better yeah. than OU Nebraska in 2000? No, and, and the reason why I say that is it'll be – it may be two, it may be three on that list. I mean, it'll be huge for your first year in the SEC. I, I just say it's going to be tough to beat just because of what had happened in the 90s and everything leading up to that. And you thought that you were going to be better in the year 2000, but the fact that it just happened all so quickly, and Nebraska was at that time right there with Florida State, maybe the best, you know, they're the biggest one-two combo in college football. I, I'm just, I'm more looking at it not from 
who is a better program, but more of the relevance of it, of that got OU back on the map nationally, that game. Like, that game just meant so much to that 2000 season, getting OU back where it needed to be. And I just, I mean, they just haven't been down recently like they were in the 90s. So I, that one, just everything that went into that, it's going to be it's gonna be tough to beat. But beating Georgia, if they're coming off a three-peat, dude, that'd be a pretty good place to start. I mean, the excitement and the optimism at that moment compared to now would be pretty night and day different, I think. Well, yeah, and not only that, but, you know, say Georgia's on this dynastic run of dominance and also really your only memory of playing Georgia as an OU fan is watching Baker Mayfield's college career end at the hands of Kirby Smart in double overtime at the Rose Bowl in, on January 1st, 2018. Man, that would be that would be sweet, sweet victory. It would. Uh, a lot of LSU text on the text line. Like, I think most people are saying, yeah, Georgia, if they're a three-peat, Georgia would be awesome. But uh, just from, like, payback and someone that you want to uh, – that, that you maybe you owe a little bit after the 3 title game and even the Peach Bowl, I think uh, beating LSU for the first time in Norman is going to be quite satisfying uh, for a lot of OU fans. And, and maybe that's one where OU fans have been waiting on payback uh, to LSU for quite some time. Maybe uh, – Maybe, uh, you know, a OU fan lets LSU know about that game. Like, maybe that's a little bit uncharacteristic for, uh, for OU fans for a home game, you know, but they, they may be giving it to LSU quite a bit. Somebody on the text line says, it's clear Parker didn't watch 2000 Nebraska. Yes, because I was a year old at that point. Maybe you just need to go back this summer and watch all the games from the 90s and then watch the 2000 season, and then maybe you'll uh, – Maybe you'll get and understand the how, how big that uh, win in, against Nebraska was in 2000, especially when you fell down 14 nothing in that game. You probably ah, don't have enough time. Yeah, okay, that, okay. But, you know. okay, point taken. Point taken. I'll dive into the film this summer. Yeah. <laughs> see, see if you can find uh, game film from the uh, 1996 season. Yeah, I, I'm sure that that's uh, around there somewhere. Jim in Arlington says you just have to be there. 703 came back down 14. Yes. Um, Christy says in Nebraska got off to a quick start in that 2000 game. Yes. Uh, Zane says a top three ranked LSU team would vindicate us. It's revenge and will be respected nationally. So I, LSU is, you know, we mentioned yesterday the worst fan bases, and LSU gets brought up. Uh, vindicating home wins, LSU gets brought up. So LSU, like, no one's forgotten how they were treated and how that game unfolded in the Sugar Bowl uh, back in the 2003 season. So I, uh, I felt like I knew this already, but uh, OU fan is still – OU Van is still very much ready for their next chance at LSU, especially when that game uh, when that game happens in Norman. My uh, my honorable mention, by the way, best home games ever in OU history since we're 100 days away. One is 08 Tech, two is Bedlam in 03, three is uh, Bama in 02. Honorable mention, okay? And I think if the stands were full that night, it would have obviously have been an even you know even better of an atmosphere. But I mentioned the venom for the 03 Bedlam game. Dude, I felt a lot of venom for that 2020 Bedlam game. And I don't know if you were on the sidelines for that game, but the lucky few, the uh, quote-unquote 25% that were in that stadium, sure felt like more that night. Because OU rolled Oklahoma State, 
and OU fans had to hear all year long about how OSU was going to go in there and win, yada, yada, yada. OU dominated Oklahoma State that night, and there was a lot of hate in that stadium that evening. And if it was at 100% capacity, um, it would have been talked about a whole lot more than what it is now. It was, it was an awesome atmosphere, even at 25%. And yeah, it was. I was about to say it was more than twenty five percent. The people who crunch the numbers can say twenty five percent capacity all they want. No, absolutely not. There were thirty five, forty thousand people in that building, and there was a ton of it. And no, nobody was playing with more vitriol that night than Ronnie Perkins. Oh my gosh! Didn't he get like a sack? And uh, didn't he? sack Spencer Sanders and, like, roll the ball over to the OSU sideline at one point in that yes. game. Um, Buki got a flag that game. And then on the next play, I think Oklahoma State scored. Buki got a flag I, every game. Yeah, well, that's true. I, did, I didn't narrow it down there. I'm still shocked, though, that Ronnie Perkins, if they're going to flag Buki for an unsportsmanlike conduct, I'm still shocked that they didn't flag uh, Ronnie Perkins for that. But whatever, no harm, no foul. It's all good. 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. You guys are killing it right now. We're going to hit a whole lot of OU football, a whole lot of OU softball, and some OU baseball as well. They're in the winner's bracket, in case you didn't hear. Playing Texas Tech tonight at 730 in Arlington. A chance to really be in the uh, catbird seat out there for the Big 12 baseball tournament. We'll see if they can get a big win over Tech tonight after getting uh, 13 walks. OSU issued 13 walks last night in that baseball game as OU won 9-5. to We'll cover it all when it comes to the Sooners coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. We're the home of Sooner fans. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. It's The Rush on The Ref. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, today, Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. I'm at Sooner Station Senior Living. Independent living is 55 and up. They also have assisted living and memory care. They're celebrating their one-year anniversary next Thursday on June 1st. Amenities, they've got a ton of them. Pool, full bar in the sports pub, that's where I'm at today. Restaurant, pool, workout rooms, live music weekly, full-service salon, fire pits and courtyards and tons of activities. I was even watching the uh, Oklahoma State-West Virginia game in here in the uh, pub, which Oklahoma State won the uh, loser's bracket game. They are moving on, but uh, they'll be having a party in here tomorrow, I guarantee it. 1 p.m. for the OU softball game. This place, this pub will be flooded with residents as uh, OU takes on Clemson. Parker is at Westwood Golf. What's going on over there at uh, Westwood? Yeah, so obviously never a bad day for golf in the state of Oklahoma, and there's no better place to go in Norman than Westwood Golf Course. Uh, The Westwood Junior Golf Academy is open for ages 8 through 17. It's $120.00. And the Academy is going to meet seven times this summer, June 20th, 21st, and 27th, and July 11th, 18th, 25th, and 26th from 9 to 11 a.m. So if you're looking for something for your kid to do over the summer, why not learn the game of golf a little better? Now, things will wrap up on July 26th with a tournament, pizza party, and medals. You can sign up online or at the Golf Course Pro Shop. That all takes place here at Westwood Golf. Uh, let's read a few texts before we move on here from the 918. Best home game, 2001 versus North Carolina. And then in parentheses, not really. I just wanted to hear the Mac Brown voice. Well, there you go. 
I gave it to you there. Bruce <laughs> says, OU demolished Miami in 2006. Yes, they did. I actually believe that was 2007 when they demolished Miami and Norman. It was an extremely humid day, but who cares? I'll take a torrential downpour if it means that you get to demolish the University of Miami in football. Um, let's see. Sooner-Man 93, 2012 Bedlam, walk-off, touchdown, and overtime. Hands down in the top five games. That's correct, Sooner-Man. Probably in my top five. OU never had a lead in that game until they walked it off in overtime, which is, uh, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Pastor Andy from Broken Arrow, Josh Norman changed the tone of the Nebraska game. After the block punt, every play was sitting on the edge of, uh, of the seat after the block punt, yes. Uh, 918 Rod, I sat in the south end zone of the 2000 OU Nebraska game. I watched Josh Heupel's pastor, Andre Wolfel, come right at me. The fans in the crowd were unreal. I never heard the stadium that loud before. We took over the number one ranking, and we never gave it back. Oh, the memories, 918 Rod, as we're uh, 100 days away until kickoff. But... Yeah, I think most people are in agreement uh, in agreements that it's the greatest home game ever in uh, in OU history. So BetMGM is taking national championship bets uh, from 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 all the all the teams that are out there, and for the championship right now, in terms of all the bets that they're taking, Parker, eight point one of the bets are on the University of Colorado. Six point one percent of the bets that uh, BetMGM is taking is at Colorado at plus 25,000. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I might take Georgia. Maybe I'd take a flyer on Michigan or Ohio State. I, I, I'm not real sure where I would go. Probably Georgia. 8.1% of morons out there have put money on Colorado to win the national championship, not to win six games or to win the Pac-12 or to make the playoff. 8.1% of people have bet on Colorado at 25000 to 1. Talk about throwing your money away. See, this is, this is why Las Vegas continues to be subsidized. and exp- Look, I, you know my thoughts on Las Vegas. I don't want to get Las Vegas sooner angry on the text line. So we'll save that conversation for another day. But... Do people like losing? People must like losing money, Tyler, because there's no rational human being that actually believes Colorado is going to win a national championship in the year of our Lord 2023. That's simply not logical or even plausible. I mean, you've got to just have a ridiculous amount of money just to throw even $100 down. $100 down on Colorado? I wouldn't bet $100 that Colorado's going to win six games this year. I don't know if I'd bet $100 that Colorado's going to win four games this year. And they've got the sixth most bets right now in all of college football to win the championship, according to uh, BetMGM. So it's probably the list goes like uh, Georgia's getting a lot of bets, I'm sure. Michigan and Ohio State are getting a lot of bets. I'm sure Texas is getting some bets right now because, well, it's the offseason and the hype is real. I'm sure Alabama's getting a lot of bets. There's five. And then Colorado would come next at at six. You you think Colorado belongs in that list? Of course not. So the biggest liability right now in terms of the money that's out there and the money that BetMGM could lose is Colorado because they're at plus 25,000. Colorado is the biggest liability right now for MGM. And I'm sure MGM is looking at this number, sitting back and saying, ah, 
Life is good. Maybe we'll build a, a new tower at the MGM Grand with all of the money that we're getting on Colorado to win the national championship. They're, they're probably counting the money as they speak right now because of the 8.1% of bets that are on CU, which is which is nuts, man. Maybe That's I the, should open a sports book, Tyler. This maybe. makes me want to open a sports book. It's be like, if there are people out there that are stupid enough to bet on Colorado to win the national championship in 2023, shoot, I'll take their money. Let's see. Frisco Sooner says, I've got $100 that says Colorado doesn't win three games this year. If you're trying to bet one of us, Frisco Sooner, you're not going to get action from me. I'm, I'm not so confident that Colorado is going to win three games this year. In fact, I don't know if there's going to be three games where they're even favored to win this year. They won't be favored against TCU. They're not even favored against Nebraska at home. If, if you're a seven-point underdog Which, on like, your home how, field how to are Nebraska, you not favored? you're bad. <laughs> Like how can you not be favored against Nebraska? That says that tells me more than any of the idiots that are betting on Colorado to win a national title. Vegas generally knows what they're talking about. That's why they make money. And so, if they're saying Nebraska is a favorite on the road against Colorado, that tells you this Colorado team in 2023 is not going to be all that they've been cracked up to be. Yeah, I wonder when the last time is that Nebraska has been a seven-point favorite over uh, another Power Five team. Maybe it's more recent than I realize. Maybe it's been a bad uh, Big Ten team or something. But it hasn't been since 2001 since Nebraska has been a – I'm kidding. I'll, I'll, I'm kidding there. But it's, it feels like it's probably been uh, probably been a while. True Sooner says OU was 100-1 to in 2000. Well, I bet that was a fun ticket to cash for uh, probably the few that bet on OU at 100-1 to to win the title before 2000. That was probably a nice one to, to catch. Going back out to Vegas to cash that one, I bet that was pretty awesome. Uh, 918 says, how about this, Parker? I wouldn't bet $100 that OU men's basketball team even makes the NCAA tournament. Oof. Uh, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't either. I, I concur. Uh, let's see, 918, I would kill for Colorado's schedule. They only play one non-power five game all year long yeah from the entertainment factor it's uh it's a lot better like their uh their marquee home well, games are nebraska and usc like their schedule is a lot more difficult than ou's so from that aspect i would take ou's but from just an entertainment perspective like i here's the thing i bet colorado would change uh schedules with ou in a heartbeat in fact i know they would i bet they would too and I think what that listener is kind of getting at there is that's Colorado's got a pretty good schedule if you're trying to build a college football playoff resume. So for Oklahoma, yeah, you'd love to have a schedule like Colorado's. But for where Colorado stands, odds are, Tyler, they take a few on the chin early on, whether in non-conference play or in the early portion of their conference schedule. And looking at the rest of that slate, it's going to be tough to rebound if you start getting down on yourself as a team based on a couple of early season losses because it is a pretty unrelenting slate of games. Even in a relatively mediocre Pac-12, Colorado doesn't stand head and shoulders above the rest in that conference, and there are no cupcakes on that schedule. No, um, except for maybe Colorado State, but we'll, we'll see. It is a rivalry game between the two, so I guess you never know. Um, Colorado is going to be an expensive, bad team to watch this year. I was reading this earlier today, like Dion's first game, that road game at TCU, just to get into into the door, 
you're looking at around two hundred and fifty dollars just to just just to have a bad seat when Colorado plays TCU. And of course, you know the Nebraska fans travel well. Um, they're going to be out there in Boulder, and tickets for that game range from four hundred and fifty dollars to over a thousand dollars. So to watch a bad football team, maybe the worst team in the Pac-12. You're gonna to have to pay like a premium price, Parker, like around 250, 300 bucks for a for a bad seat. I, I'm I'm probably out on that one. I can think of way more efficient ways to spend 250 or 300 bucks than going to watch a Colorado football game. Now, uh, there's a yeah. chance Colorado's a real fun team to watch two, three years down the road. Sure, like it. If Dion's vision takes root and he actually turns that program around, which obviously is very much to be determined, but if he can get that program on the right track two, three, four years down the road, yeah, maybe we're talking about Colorado as a team that's worth the price of admission. But in 2023, no, absolutely not. You know, th- that that, uh, that text is interesting that we just read. I would kill for Colorado's schedule. Like, yes, again, for the entertainment aspect, to get a shot at USC, like Brian and Tulsa saying, he, he would love it. I-, I wonder what our opinion would be of this year's OU team if they didn't have maybe the worst schedule in all of Power 5. You know, because, and I fall into this, is that a lot of what I think OU's going to do, wins and losses-wise, really is kind of all about the schedule and the fact that I don't think it's very good. That's why my baseline for expectation starts at 10 wins. And maybe this is a difficult question to ask because they only play the schedule that they have. I just wonder what the thought or the opinion of this team would be, Parker, if the schedule looked a lot different and maybe it wasn't one of the worst schedules in Power 5. Like, would we have much more of a toned-down expectations, I guess? Would we say that 8-4 and four would be an okay year in year two? I, I, I don't – I just – I wonder what that would look like if things looked totally different on the schedule. I mean, I'm sure expectations would be diminished somewhat if you had a couple marquee opponents on the slate. But, you know, naturally, you look a schedule like this over and you see 11 games at least that ought to be wins. And that's not to say those 11 games will be wins because football isn't played on paper. But, yeah, I think regardless of the 6-7 and mark a year ago, regardless of the ineptitude that Oklahoma showed at times both offensively and defensively, I I think it's easy, it's almost too easy to look at this slate and conclude that it's going to be a bounce back year. Like, are, are, are we, it does kind of make me wonder, are we getting expectations too high for this Oklahoma team because we are trusting that OU is going to more resemble the program that we've seen for the vast majority of the 21st century, more so than the team that we saw on the football field last fall? Because I think... If you have the same or a similar Oklahoma team that you had last fall, it, you probably win a couple more games. A couple of those close games will go your way this time around, but it's probably an eight-win football team. If you see a measurable step up in terms of not only offensive efficiency but defensive effectiveness, then, yeah, I think it's reasonable to figure double-digit wins is within the realm of possibility, but uh, I think there's certainly some merit to what you're saying. Yes, expectations would be lower, if Oklahoma had a tougher schedule, the question is, do you want that or not? Like, is that yeah. you think it's healthier for this fan base and for this program if expectations are higher or lower? Do you want the bar set high? Do you want the bar set low? And I feel like depending on who you ask, you could get different answers. 
All right, when we come back, I think OU has the opportunity to deliver a deadly haymaker tomorrow, given the situation between OU and Clemson and what Clemson's going to have in the circle. We'll talk some OU Clemson softball coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the Homeless Suter fans. The Ref Radio Sports Network is powered statewide by the insurance adjusters at Brown O'Haver. Fire, wind, theft, or tornado, we can help. Call 405-735-5510. It's the rush on the ref. Father McComas Parker Thune. I'm at Sooner Station, University of North Park in Norman. Parker is at Westwood Golf in Norman as well. And tomorrow at 1 p.m., we're less than 24 hours away. Game one between OU and Clemson in the Super Regional from Marita Hines Field. And here's here's the deal, Parker, is if you ask any OU fan or any OU softball fan about Clemson, what's the first thing that they're going to say about Clemson softball? Oh, yeah, 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 Valerie Cagle. Like, that's the that's the... One thing that most people know, like that's the first thing that you think of when you think of Clemson softball, Valerie Cagle. She's the ace in the circle. She's probably their best hitter as well. Uh, top three finalists for player of the year. You, you, you know all about her. You know, but he, here's the thing with tomorrow, though, and I think Clemson could be playing with some fire in game one. Let's say, for instance, and I don't think that this is going to happen, but let's just say, for instance, that – Jordy Ball gets to start tomorrow for OU, and maybe her first three innings are a little bit rough. Well, that's okay, because you can just go to Nicole May with a sub-1 ERA, Alex Duraco with a sub-1 ERA, or Kirsten Deal, who's pitching very well right now, right? Like if whoever you start tomorrow or throughout the weekend doesn't have their best outing, well, you can go to someone else who's equally as better. That's not the case for Clemson, man. You know, in fact, Valerie Cagle has almost pitched – a hundred innings more than Millie Thompson, who's Clemson's number two. So what does the situation look like tomorrow in the rest of the series? Because it kind of feels like Cagle will start every single game in the circle for Clemson. What if OU delivers a haymaker in the first two innings like they did against Cal? And I'm not even saying six runs in the first, but what if OU has like four runs through the first two innings? Like Clemson's in kind of a difficult spot here because there's not seemingly anyone else that they can go to close to her ability like OU can. Like the pitching depth is just not there. So I, I think it could be a big, big moment in the series tomorrow if OU delivers that first punch in like the first two innings. Well, and there's a lot of confidence to be found from the OU side, Tyler, when you consider that, well, at as long as you get to Valerie Cagle, that's all you really have to worry about with this Clemson softball program. If you can get to their ace, they don't have much ammunition behind that. And this is the case in baseball. It's the case in softball. Both of the diamond sports, we see it every year around this time of year, Tyler. When your pitching depth is challenged, if you don't have somebody that's ready and willing and able to step up, then things can unravel very, very quickly. Where Oklahoma got behind the eight ball last year in Omaha was when they ran out of depth on the pitching staff, right? You get guys tired at the end of the week. Uh, your ace, Cade Horton, goes the distance or close to it goes seven innings in the final game. And, uh, and <laughs> Trevin Michaels getting a little bit roughed up, and you don't necessarily have anybody behind that to turn to. You saw it in both games of the final series for Oklahoma last year out in Omaha, it's something that you never really have to worry about with Patty Gasso and her pitching staff because 
they're three, four, sometimes five deep with not only capable arms but elite arms. So if Oklahoma is able to push a few early runs across off Valerie Cagle, I feel like you can about call in the dogs because if you get to Clemson's number two and you show that you can rough up Cagle, First off, the Clemson offense isn't going to be able to respond against the artillery that you have in the circle. And also, if you can get to Cagle, Lord knows you can get to just about anybody else on that Clemson staff much quicker. Yeah, that's why I just think that there's a real opportunity for OU tomorrow. Like, it's it's a best-of-three series. I, I understand that, and a lot of things can happen, and... Momentum shifts can definitely happen. Extreme momentum shifts can definitely happen in a three-game series. But you get to Valerie Cagle early, and not that they would just pull her, even if you did have a six-run first inning and you'd never see her again that weekend. Like, no, that's she's their best player, best pitcher, best hitter. Like, they're they're going to pitch Valerie Cagle as as much as possible throughout the series. But you you shake her confidence against what's going to be a rowdy home environment tomorrow. Yeah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be feeling really good even in the early stages of a uh, of a best of three series because OU's good everywhere, home, away, neutral site, it, it doesn't matter. But they are one thirteen and two at home the past five years. OU's only lost two home games the past five years. One thirteen and two. It's a pretty tough assignment, man. Like even for Valerie Cagle. But if you're going to ask at any point in this series, Parker, for Clemson's number two or maybe even number three to have to throw big innings, that's going to be a pretty tough ask um, in front of a home environment like Marita Hines Field. Good luck with that one. Yeah, especially on the road for this Clemson team, essentially relying on one singular arm in Valerie Cagle. There is a very narrow path to victory for Clemson. So, They basically have one route, and if you compromise that one route, the route is on, and it's going to be an onslaught for this Oklahoma softball team. So as long as you can get through Cagle, man, that's the roadmap for Oklahoma. From there, uh, it's all out there in front of you, and I, I am firmly of the opinion that Oklahoma wins both these games handily and advances to the Women's College World Series with the longest winning streak in the history of college softball. Yeah, it's one of the many storylines going into this weekend for sure. And um, I, I, I see several paths to victory for OU. I see one path to victory for Clemson. And it's it's tough, but their path to victory is not outslugging OU and winning games 9-8. to eight. I don't think offensively they are capable of that, especially with OU's pitching staff. Um, Clemson's going to have to win games one nothing, 2-1, low-scoring games. Valerie Cagle is going to have to be – the most dominant pitcher in college softball against the best lineup in college softball this weekend. It's going to be tough, man. It's, it's going to be really tough for Clemson. Uh, 9-1-8, Cagle will see the entire lineup in the first inning. Maybe Cal uh, saw the first uh, in, the, the entire lineup in the first inning on Sunday. Uh, softball Steve says Sooners can't lose to a newbie team barely five seasons on the field as a Tiger softball team Sooners attack early, and game ends early for the Sooners. Um, yeah, I don't doubt that OU will be very, very aggressive uh, against a pitcher like uh, like Valerie Cagle. You're going to hear that name a lot over the course of the next – well, I think that the series is only going two games. I agree with Parker on that one. I think OU is going to win the first two games of the series, and we're going to be celebrating on Saturday evening about another uh, Women's College World Series berth. But 
Cagle's going to have to be the best player on the field. The problem is there's a lot of really good players in the OU's dugout, so going to be pretty difficult. All right, we'll close up hour number one next. Again, I'm at Sooner Station Senior Living right here in Norman. Independent living, 55 and up. They also have assisted living and memory care. Check them out, SoonerStation.com. Parker is at uh, Westwood Golf in Norman. We'll get all of the deets on what's going on with him coming up next segment and a whole lot more. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. It is the rush on the ref. Tyler and Parker, no OU softball tonight. That's tomorrow at 1 p.m. But we do have super regional action starting this evening. 14 seed Georgia is at number three, Florida State, at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. And then you've got Oregon and six-seed Oklahoma State, game one of their Super Regional, coming up at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. OU Baseball in the winner's bracket tonight, 7.30 against Texas Tech. We'll talk about that momentarily. Parker, first, what's going on over there at Westwood Golf? Yeah, Westwood Golf has a lot going on over the next couple of months as summer begins to heat up and golf season comes into full swing. Hey, the 48th annual Westwood Invitational presented by OklahomaTickets.com, is coming up July 1st through the 3rd. $275 is the fee if you're going to ride. It's only $225 if you're going to walk. You can register online or by calling the pro shop. So whether you're a seasoned pro golfer or just want to get out, have some fun in a competitive environment, the Westwood Invitational, again, July 1st through the 3rd. You can sign up at the pro shop or by going online couple of upsets. Well, there was a lot of upsets um, at the Big 12 tournament yesterday. Of course, Kansas beat Texas, but Oklahoma being Oklahoma, beating Oklahoma State was an upset, and then Texas Tech beating West Virginia was an upset. So that's who Oklahoma plays tonight, a Texas Tech team that is, I mean, they're still, they're still capable. they got good players, but maybe not as good as some of the Tech teams that we've seen previously. And I'm going to guess that OU throws Braden Carmichael tonight. So you're already in a good spot after winning game one. But, Parker, you could be in a uh, really nice situation heading into tonight's game, uh, throwing out there the Big 12 Pitcher of the Week. Pretty good spot here for OU, seemingly. Yeah, no question about it. And we mentioned yesterday the similarities early on here between the run that Oklahoma made through the Big 12 tournament a year ago and what it's shaping up like uh, this time around with the number one seed, Texas, already playing from the loser's bracket after an opening round loss to number eight, Kansas. So Oklahoma gets that offensive explosion in the 9-5 to victory over Oklahoma State. Uh, they, they didn't use a lot of their top arms in that game, and so now you get a chance to really solidify your position as a contender, a top contender, a front runner to take home this Big 12 tournament title. And I, it really does feel like... Oklahoma at this point, Tyler, is a lock to make regionals. Now, where they're seeded and how confident we are about the Sooners' chances to make it out of a regional, that's a different conversation entirely. But right now, things are looking pretty good for Skip Johnson and the uh, the boys to make the field of 64. Uh, Key to success tonight for OU. Just get 13 walks like you did last night against Oklahoma State. Uh, They got on base a ton, man. But also, like, it weren't just walks. They weren't just free passes. OU was hammering the ball yesterday, man. And and they were hitting well with runners in scoring position with two outs. That was about as complete as an offensive performance as uh, I think we've seen OU baseball have 
maybe in the past several weeks. They were really, really good offensively yesterday and uh, on the mound as well. And we'll see if they can replicate that tonight against Texas Tech. Again, 7.30 scheduled first pitch. You can hear that live on the ref. 1400 AM, 99.3 FM, or honestly, the best way to listen to it, just download our free app in the App Store, K-R-E-F. Hour number two of The Rush is next. Keep it locked on The Ref. Where he just drove off